evening, everybody. It is August 31st, 2023. I am your host, Nate Pike. This is The Breakdown, and we're here to talk about Alberta politics. As always, we're going to be opening things up after with our open mic, mic live on the Twitter spaces. So if uh, if uh, you, you have some thoughts, if you have some things that you want to share, if maybe we got some things wrong this week, then we definitely want to hear from you. You can hop on the, the Twitter spaces, and I'm still calling it Twitter spaces. I know all the cool kids are calling it X. I am resistant to change in my old age, so we'll do with that as best we can. But to start with, we had a big announcement last week. There's going to be a trade mission. Uh, 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 we're sending somebody to a place to talk about the things and the stuff. We're talking about Rebecca Schultz. She got to fly all the way to Germany. Because in the midst of the Danielle Smith Moratorium on Renewable Energy... Um, we, uh, we decided it was good, a good idea to send someone to talk about how great we're doing with renewable energy and, and geothermal heating and all of, all of that kind of stuff. But in true UCP fashion, we wouldn't, you know, it's, it's the little things that matter. And fortunately this screenshot was captured. I'm going to blow it up a little bit bigger on the screen here. Uh, fortunately this screenshot was captured of a, a tweet that was sent out from the Danielle Smith account, which was clearly trying to be colloquial and, and folksy. Uh, Wonder Bar with the, the little double, the sideways semicolon. A made in Alberta geothermal innovation by Aver Technologies will now help power 200,000 German homes. Thank you, Minister at Rebecca Schultz for heading to Germany to... <laughs> And this is where it gets fun. Change end of last sentence to showcase Alberta's working uh, world-leading clean energy technology. And then it went went on for a little bit longer in the tweet. But clearly this was a draft that was sent out um, and uh, was supposed to be approved, presumably. And uh, they had some notes. But somebody in their enthusiasm decided, you know what, we're just going to send it with the notes. People will get. Now, of course, that tweet was corrected uh, because the, the Twitterverse was very, very quick to go, oh, that's not what you're supposed to do. Communications for the premier's office. And this is where, once again, we have to kind of revisit the fact who's running Danielle Smith's Twitter account. Because we know. Because we foiped it a while back. And when we take a look at... You know, historically, how communications would work in government is you'd have a communications person who would be responsible for a certain section of the, the external communications or the social media uh, through the, the, the government apparatus. But what we saw was Daniel Smith did a things a little bit differently when she got elected. When she first got won the UCP leadership and became Premier of Alberta, one of the first things that she did was issued a sole-sourced contract to an organization uh, called Nordic Media. And then she issued another sole-sourced contract to that same organization, Nordic Media. And then a little while ago, Nordic Media won a $1.5 million contract. And... They're, one of their jobs, we know because the director of communications for the office of the premier of Alberta responded to the FOIP saying, yeah, it's them. The, the, the people who are running Daniel Smith's Twitter account are, are Nordic Media. Now, where this gets really interesting is Nordic Media is Daniel Smith's former campaign manager for her leadership race. So it gets all complicated and people have lots of questions about, well, that seems a little bit sketchy, but here's where it gets, you know, the big question has to come up. 
Why are taxpayers, because it is taxpayers, this $1.5 million, this is not coming from uh, a Daniel Smith GoFundMe. This is coming from taxpayers' money. Why is the $1.5 million going to a what is purporting to be a high-end communications firm that apparently can't proofread the communications that they're sending out on behalf of, and for a lot of money, the Premier of Alberta. Communications mistakes get made. There's no question about it. Autocorrect is a thing that happens. Everybody who uses social media has had that moment where they've gone, oh, that's not quite what I wanted to say. Uh, that that was supposed to be a picture of a, a doc. It was supposed to be a doc pic, not the other thing. Um, that's what I wanted to say. That happens. Autocorrect happens. But when you are getting paid a million and a half dollars of taxpayers' money to communicate on behalf of the premier of Alberta, it's a good idea probably best practice to have a second set of eyes read over the thing that you're going to send out before something embarrassing like this happens because it is embarrassing not only presumably for the office of the premier not only presumably for uh nordic media but it's also embarrassing for albertans because this is a tweet that is talking about an international trade mission to brag about how good we're doing with uh, our international energy products and we can't even proofread it. Doesn't instill a lot, of, a lot of confidence. But speaking of things that don't instill a lot of confidence, we got to move on from there and talk about the pause. The, the, the great pause, the renewables pause of 2023. If you've been paying any attention to, well, anything really, you've probably heard about the fact that back at the beginning of August, uh, the government of Alberta announced on August 3rd, kind of quietly, which was weird because they didn't do a press conference. They didn't have a minister come out. They were just like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, despite the fact that it's a billion dollar industry in Alberta, we're just going to pause all of the renewable development for anything over one megawatt in the province of Alberta. That's cool. Uh, right. Now, there are a lot of people who are understandably quite upset about this because one of the big conversations that's been going on this summer, one need only look out their window for most of the province of Alberta right now. And it's crazy smoky and it's crazy smoky because the province is literally on fire. The country is literally on fire. You don't have to go very far on social media to come across the maps that show where all of the wildfires are right now. And it's really, really bad. So to say, hey, you know what? We're just going to we're going to put a full stop to the renewables development, the development of renewable power in the province of Alberta for seven months. Initially, it was reported at six months. But when you do the math, it actually works out to seven. We're going to put a hold on all of the approvals there. Uh, for seven months, a lot of people went, could you please look out the window? Now, this is where it starts to get a little bit strange, complicated, inflammatory, because Daniel Smith attended the Canadian Energy Executive Association in Banff, and she had some words that she wanted to share. We don't need a just transition in Alberta because we don't intend to transition away from oil and natural gas. As um, many of you in the industry have pointed out, the transition we're talking about is a transition away from emissions. It's not a transition away from production. So Daniel Smith's being pretty clear there. Except, as always, there's a lot to unpack here. 
She's saying we don't need a just transition. Now, this is, again, Danielle Smith choosing to manipulate and misrepresent the meaning of what just transition is supposed to, to sound like. When the term just transition first came out, it was pretty clear to most people that what they were talking about was there needs to be a just, a fair transition because there is a transition coming to how energy is produced and what energy is produced with. We're not just talking about a transition to uh, lower carbon energy or net zero energy. We're not just talking about maybe the expansion of renewables. We're not just talking about those things. We're talking about the fact that automation, the robots, are coming. And the reality is there has been a 15.5% drop in oil and gas jobs between 2014 and 2021, with 2021 having the smallest number of oil sands employees in that time period. Technology is finding really effective ways to replace labor, to replace manpower. There's lots of stories about the, the robot trucks up in the oil sands. Now, nobody is arguing that there's not going to be a continuation of need for oil and gas products, for plastic products. Nobody's arguing that. Nobody's saying we're going to completely eliminate all oil and gas products, period. But the idea of the just transition was, is, hey, with automation, with changing global markets, with changing energy markets, we're going to see a whole lot of people who have been trained to do X in the oil sands, and those jobs aren't going to exist for them anymore. So how are we going to handle that? Well, to be fair, to be just, what we need to do is we need to do some retraining. We need to make sure that people have the ability to put food on their plate for their families. That was the idea behind the whole just transition. But the way that Daniel Smith has repetitively presented it is it's not a just transition. It's just transition. Just do it. Nike style. And that's not what it's about at all. So she starts off that uh, that bit of her speech right there by saying we don't need to just transition away from oil and gas. We're never going to transition away from oil and gas. We're going to we're going to what we're going to do is we're going to decrease emissions. We're going to increase production and we're going to decrease emissions using carbon capture. There's some good arguments for carbon capture. There's also some problems with carbon capture. One of the biggest ones is all of the technology that everybody is counting on doesn't really exist yet. And then it turns into a whole question of, well, where are you going to store it all? Because you're still going to be generating all of this carbon. Where are you going to put it? We did a really, really in-depth conversation about that with Mark and Hibslop. And he talked about the, the challenges that exist with carbon capture. So if you haven't listened to that episode, strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it because there's some very good information in that episode about the work that's ahead of us. We're not at a point right now where we can just flip a switch. Hey, carbon capture is going to take care of everything. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Danielle Smith argues we got to wait till 2050 because we're just not there yet. But the fact that she's saying we're not going to pivot away from oil and gas. The fact that she said repeatedly, Alberta is a, uh, a province that is powered by natural gas. That's what we do here. We do the natural gas. That sends some very strong messages in regards to what the direction is that she wants to take things. And she's even said in multiple interviews, since she introduced the moratorium 
on renewables that, well, you know, the, the, the wind, the solar, they're nice to have. But what we really need is we got to have that, that base load. We can't talk about storing any of the energy right now. Uh, we got to have the base load. We have to have the guaranteed base load. And then maybe we introduce a little bit of solar, a little bit of wind to, to lower the, the prices, maybe assuming that the, the power companies aren't doing the, the economic withholding that they've done to drive the prices up on everybody. But we can, we can, we can use a little bit of it, maybe. Well... There's been a lot of controversy over this whole situation, and there's been a lot of questions about this whole situation. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the, the fact that we saw this week the government of Alberta release a fact sheet. At least that's what they called it. They did another little statement where they said, hey, you know what? We've got this fact sheet. We're going to release this fact sheet. It's full of the facts. It's got all the facts. Nothing but the facts. So many facts. You're, you aren't even going to know what to do with it. But the problem is, is when you take a look at what the fact sheet actually says, it, it kind of comes up a little bit short on the facts and heavy on the spin. One of the questions that the fact sheet asked, because the way the fact sheet was structured is, oh, here's a question that people have been asking. Here's a concern that the people have. Let's address it. One of the questions that comes up, are we going to miss out in, on investments because of the pause? That's a yes or no question. Yes, we're going to miss out on investments. No, we're not going to miss out on investments. Now, with everybody who's working in the renewable sector saying, oh, yeah, no, we're totally going to miss out on investments. Market capital is fluid, and it's going to move to where it can get a return on investment quicker. It's not going to wait to, to see what Alberta does in seven months. But instead of answering the yes or no question, it's, it's a whole bunch of Alberta's awesome. Alberta is the best province in Canada for renewables investments by a wide margin. Unlike other provinces with provincially owned power companies that only develop renewables at the request of the government, Alberta allows private generators to invest at will, just not for the next seven months. It is important that we update policies to reflect the needs of our growing renewable sector to ensure Albertans have the reliable and affordable utilities they depend on. We continue to support a market-based system, yada, 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 yada. And it doesn't ever answer the question. But there's other places where there's the same kind of confusion. Why can't concerns over land use and remediation be handled without a pause? The justification, the pause creates a line in the sand and demarks the start of the Alberta government's emphasis on ensuring that we are not being wasteful with our world-class agriculture and public land. Now, again, this whole argument comes back to the question of, hey, there's some municipalities in rural areas who don't want to see farmers deciding, hey, you know what, I can make this much money selling this crop, or I can make this much money selling this crop, and then during the winter, I can have this solar farm and I can make the two of them work together because they do. They can. The technology exists. And then I can I can make a whole bunch of money that way. That sounds great. Municipalities don't want to do that because a lot of municipalities and we've heard this from a few of the municipalities, the, the leaders in those municipalities say, hey, you know, what? but we, we got plans for how we want to use that land down the road. And if these farmers decide that they're going to start doing all of this stuff on their land privately, they're going to start making all this money and we're not going to be making the sweet, sweet tax base. So we have some concerns. Plus, apparently they don't look nice is one of the the arguments as opposed to pump jacks which are are just uh, visual artistry 
But it's predicated on the idea that, hey, you know what, we should be able to say to farmers, to rural Albertans, you know what, this is what you get to use your property for. This is what you don't get to use your property for. And that's another question that comes up. Why were renewable uh, applications paused? Sorry, we'll jump back to one more. Uh, there we go. Why does respect for property rights impact community concerns? And this is another word salad answer where we support responsible growth in the renewable energy sector, respect the rights of landowners to determine the best use of their land, whether it's traditional agricultural, renewable electricity developments or other opportunities. This approach is intended to address issues raised by landowners and others to make the approval process more efficient and clear all participants throughout the lifestyle, the lifespan of projects, while also improving the investment environment for new electricity projects. Albertans recognize that we need to be good neighbors to each other. Many counties are frustrated that their long-range plans for orderly municipal development conflict with applications to the AUC. So to be clear, what they're saying there is, hey, we totally believe that everybody should have the right to do what they want uh, with their land, except, you know, the municipalities are unhappy. So we're going to pause everything and I guess just let everybody wait and hopefully some farmers forget that they had these plans for how they were going to still make money off of their land during the winter, I guess. I don't know. Last question that we want to highlight here. Why were renewable applications to the AUC paused while the AUC conducts its inquiry? And this is a really, really important one. And we're going to get to why it's so, so, so important in just a sec. But this one is a really, really important one. The AUC asked the government for policy and regulatory clarity about the issues being considered. And here's the key. In response, the government chose to instruct the AUC to hold an inquiry on these issues. The inquiry will be, will be transparent and will happen quickly and the clarity will be good for renewable energy proponents. In fairness to the proponents of applications which were in the early stage of processing and applications which had not been received yet, the government asked the AUC to pause approvals on recently received applications. Like I said, this gets really, really important because if we turn back the clock just a little bit, we go back to Daniel Smith's radio show uh, just a little while ago, just at the beginning of the month, shortly after all the furor over this. Why did Daniel Smith say there was a pause? The Utilities Commission, the Alberta Electric System Operator, and the Rural Municipalities Association all asked us for a pause. Okay, so... We have Danielle Smith saying, oh, you know what? Um, we, uh, we didn't want to do a pause. It wasn't our idea. But uh, we were asked for a pause. The, the AUC, all of the, all of the stakeholders, the, RM, the rural municipalities of Alberta, they all said, hey, we, we want to pause here. And when, and we talked about this on our last episode as well, but when that pause was requested or when the pause was announced by the government, one of the things that the government did was they released two letters. And in those two letters, they included from the AESO uh, and the AUC. And the way that they tried to present these letters was, look, they asked for a pause, but he actually read the letters. It's not what it says at all. One of them says, hey, we've got some issues we'd like to address. We'd like to hold an inquiry. That cool with you? And then the second one, on the same date as the first one, says, hey, thanks for the heads up that you're doing this six-month moratorium on renewals. Good to know. 
Now, what's really interesting about these is this was July 21st. And if you remember, it wasn't announced publicly until August 3rd. And in that time period, none of the other stakeholders, none of the people in the renewables industry were consulted about, hey, what do you think about this? And it's very, very clear that as of July 21st, the decision was already made. Now, where this gets even more complicated is Danielle Smith very clearly said, hey, it was the rural uh, municipalities of Alberta. They asked for they asked for it. But when the president of the rural municipalities of Alberta was on Ryan Jesperson last week, this is what he had to say. Interesting to hear. So, so the RMA did not ask the Alberta government premier's office, any ministry for the moratorium. You're, you're, you're simply responding to what you saw. That's correct. Yeah, huh. we, we we didn't ask for a moratorium, but but in context of the, the complex land use decisions that we're upholding, um, we're supporting the, that discussion. So let's be clear. In the two letters, there was no request for a pause. Let's also be clear. The president of the RMA says very clearly there, yeah, no, we didn't ask for a pause. That was last week. Now, one would think if it's been so clearly dissected that the letters don't ask for a pause, and if the president of the RMA was on Jesperson last week and he's on the record saying the RMA didn't ask for a pause, you would think that that would be a, a line, a lie, a line, I don't know, do we include the end? I think you'll get the answer in just a minute, that the Smith government would abandon. You would think if they had any competent cons professionals working advising Danielle Smith, they would say, okay, you know what? Um, it turns out that uh, the RMA, the president of the RMA, he went on Jesperson. This clip got thousands of plays across the internet. Lots of people listen to the, the Jesperson show. Um, and the, the president of the RMA said, yeah, no, we didn't ask for uh, a pause. Maybe what we should do is we should not say that the RMA asked for a pause anymore because one of the other things that Jan Daniel Smith tried to justify was saying there were these two resolutions that were passed. Well, as we talked about in a previous episode, there's nothing in the resolutions that asks for a pause. So the resolutions have been publicly addressed. The letters have been publicly addressed. The president of the RMA has come out and said, hey, you know what? Um, we didn't ask for a pause. You would think that this would be a line that the Smith government would drop. Well, that brings us up to yesterday. Mayor of Caroline Village uh, on the program coming up shortly. Now, he recently called for your government to reconsider the decision for a six-month pause on renewable projects, saying that it's hurting the municipality's bottom line, sending a conflicting message uh, when it comes to investment and also to corporations who are not going to look kindly at this decision. What is your response to him? Well, I, I hope that you'll also interview Paul McLaughlin with the Rural Municipalities Association because they passed a motion asking for us to pause because they don't want to continue seeing solar and wind going on to prime agriculture land with no plan for reclamation and cleanup. If only somebody had talked to the president of the RMA's Paul McLaughlin. Interesting to hear. So, so the RMA did not ask 
the Alberta government, premier's office, any ministry for the moratorium. You're, you're simply responding to what you saw. That's correct. Yeah, oh. we, we we didn't ask for a moratorium, but but in context of the the complex land use decisions that we're upholding, um, we're supporting the, that discussion. Just like the movie 28 Days Later, this is the lie that just won't die. This is the spin that was put forward by the Smith government on August 3rd. Today is August 31st. Yesterday, Smith stood up on Power and Politics, a nationally broadcast show on CBC. And she decided, rather than take ownership of her decision and use any of the justifications that that she has said, rather than take responsibility, rather than say, you know what? We've repeatedly heard from all of these stakeholders that they're worried about prime agricultural land. And, you know, we just... We don't want the farmers to be able to make their own decisions about their land because, you know, they're just there's farmers. Most of them haven't really done that much schooling or some other bullshit rationalization. Rather than say any of those things, Danielle Smith continues to pass the buck. She continues to pass this lie that all of these other people asked for this thing. And she has utterly failed to produce any evidence that any of them did. And in fact, there are members of those groups that have come out and said the exact opposite, including the president of the rural municipalities of Alberta. But it's not just the high profile people that are getting screwed by this. And a very important story that came out just a couple of days ago, there's a couple of municipalities that also have very real concerns because they were planning on projects like this to make up a significant portion of the their budget. I'll read a couple of quotes from a couple of stories here. They pulled the rug out from under us, says John Rimmer, mayor of Caroline, where the United Conservatives government move has stranded a solar project that would have contributed at least 15% of the community's municipal budget. This moratorium is harmful to municipalities like ours, preventing us from generating needed revenue to keep property tax increases at a minimum. So we're not even just talking about, hey, we'd like to keep the lights on. We're talking about if we don't get these projects, we're going to have to raise people's property taxes. While continuing to provide the services and facilities required to retain and attract new residents and businesses. This is signed by an entirely different mayor, John Barclay. That's that's where we are. The premier of the province just continues to lie. And there's no evidence that she's not lying. There's tons of evidence, video evidence. You could go watch the Ryan Jesperson interview. And I want to be really clear here. The the president of the RMA, he says that he welcomes these conversations because you know what? The RMA did put forward those policy resolutions saying, hey, we have concerns about the reclamation process. Right now, somebody just has to prove that they've got the money to do the cleanup, but they don't actually have to set it aside. We'd like to see that money money set aside in a bond so that if anybody does build a project, they have to have the cleanup money saved away so they don't just spend it on I don't know, Netflix and cheesies or something. Now, the concerns in regards to we don't like how it looks and with the the prime agricultural land, that gets way more complicated really, really quickly because we are talking about surface rights on land that's owned by people. And if those people own that land, for anybody to say, no, you can't 
create a wind farm or a solar farm that's not only going to contribute to getting the province closer to net zero, but also is going to provide significant revenue because we don't like how it looks. I don't own your land. I don't go on your land, but I don't like how it looks. I just don't like the look of solar panels. They're so reflecty. That's a much different conversation to have. And even in the fact sheet that the government put out, it's very, very clear that they're not really putting a whole lot of weight into that argument. They just want to be able to say that they, they addressed it. But this is, again, kind of on brand for Smith, because one of the other things that we've seen, we saw last weekend with her radio show again. It's, it's fascinating to me, quite frankly, that, that she's still allowed to do that radio show. Because every time she goes on the radio show, she has this habit of using words. And when she uses these words, she tends to get herself into trouble. We're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about the whole Dynalife situation because that gets to be really relevant really quickly. One of, the, one of the conversations that's been going on in the province is the province announced, hey, so that whole thing where we were going to privatize all of the lab services, yeah, that super didn't work out. There were a bunch of people who kind of got, got really screwed on that one. So we're going to buy it back. It would seem to be that that is a strong argument for not doing mass privatization of healthcare. But nonetheless, here's Danielle Smith with her thoughts on what the takeaways are from the Dynalife disaster. We find ourselves that uh, Dynalife has made the determination that they um, want to exit this market. And so we, we came uh, to a mutual agreement that Alberta Precision Labs will take that over for now. I mean, keep in mind, I, I don't believe that having a single provider of any service, whether it's government or private, is necessarily going to be optimal. We're, we're already in the process of looking at Alberta Health Services and seeing how problematic, how problematic it's been to concentrate everything into a single health super board. And we're, we're working on decentralization. So I would look at this as a, a step to stabilize the system, make sure all the staff know we value them and we're making sure every single one of them has a place. We want to make sure patients know that they're going to get the diagnosis and the treatment that they need. And then we'll, we'll look forward about, uh, about our contracting and, and do, it, uh, do it better when we, when we start looking at ways to involve the, the private sector in the future. The, uh, the other thing I learned is that uh, it's, it's very difficult if you have a, a single source of any contract in government. You, ha you have to be able to have backup. And the, the fact that we had Alberta Precision Labs able to still be in operation and lend a hand, I think that that's been able to help us add the extra number of appointments. And so we don't want to be in a position where we're sole sourcing anything. It's, it's truly a remarkable uh, display of gymnastics, lo logical gymnastics, when you're able to take a look at how you just did a big thing really, really badly. And your, your next step, your lesson that you take out of that is, well, we did one thing really, really badly. What if we tried to do a dozen things really, really badly? What if instead of just having one point of failure, we made 12 points of failure? What, how, how would that go? Maybe we should give that a go. The math doesn't change. If you have a company that has a responsibility to its shareholders to deliver profits, you're going to get less with the same amount of money. And if the Dynalife fiasco has proven anything, it's exactly that point.
Dynalife was sold to Albertans. The idea of Dynalife was sold to Albertans under the premise of, hey, you know what? Private sector. Oh, they're so much better at running business than, than, than the public folks. What we really need to do is we need to hand things over to the private sector and they'll be able to get way more out of it because they know about efficiency. And it turns out when we handed it over to the private sector, they went, well, but we like to make money. And then they tried to make money and they didn't have the ability to provide the services that Albertans rely on at the same dollar value. They just couldn't do it because they had to make money. That's the bottom line. So it's fascinating that Daniel Smith is choosing to take the lesson of, well, okay, so it failed really, really badly, but what if we privatize more? Moving on from there... I had a conversation with my uh, with my wife last night about this next topic, because as much as we're going to start with a really, really gross se eh, segue that where this story ends for us, at least tonight, I could not have made up if I tried. And I use puppets. This is this is probably one of the wildest things that I've seen. Uh, in the four and a half years of, of doing this show. It's just so incredible to me that this is, that I'm going to present to you the information that I'm going to, to present to you tonight because it's, it's just so messed up. But let's start with the gross part. Little town, Southern Alberta, Fort McLeod. <sighs> okay, here we go. Fort McLeod is a, is a town in southern Alberta, and it's got a bit of a reputation for a bit of things. And there are some folks who are doing some amazing, amazing work to try to buck that reputation. Southern Alberta, in a lot of the smaller communities, has a reputation for being redneck, for being uh, socially regressive, for, for being not enlightened, for being hicks, for all of those sorts of things. And I want to be really, really clear. Anytime you talk about any given area, you can't talk about it as a monolith. We've said that over and over and over again on the show. So I want to be really clear. Not by any measure are all of the people in Fort McLeod ignorant, hateful rednecks. Period. End of sentence. There's some amazing people who live down there. Some of those amazing people run a theater called the Empress Theater. And one of the things that they decided to do in the space between... Uh, Pride in, in Edmonton and Pride in Calgary was they were going to put on a drag show. They were going to host a drag show in that venue. And the drag show was called Drag Out the Love, which is, gosh, a really negative sort of uh, message if you're, if you're just saying, let's, let's be kind to each other. That's some radical stuff these folks were throwing down. Unfortunately... There are some folks in Fort McLeod who apparently do kind of fit into that more bigoted category because there was a vandalism that occurred 
Now, there's been multiple reports on this uh, in regards to what happened. The RCMP and the Empress Theater have released a bunch of different statements to make sure that things are, are clear. We want to just make sure that we're talking about what we're talking about. So we're going to talk about that. Basically, what happened is the performance was getting ready to go. As it was going on, there were, people started to notice a bit of an, an odor. And that odor progressively got worse and worse and worse. It was so bad that there were people who had came out of the venue saying that they had somebody had sprayed liquid manure. It turns out it wasn't liquid manure. It was something called Fisher and Martin lure. So liquid manure, Martin lure, eh, you can see how it would happen. And, you know, that doesn't that sounds, you know, Fisher and Martin lure. That sounds like something that you would perhaps uh, enjoy with a, a good barbecue, a nice glass of, of Fisher and Martin lure. Uh, you wouldn't want to do that. Fisher and Martin lure has a bunch of different ingredients, and depending on the formulation, it changes. But here's the thing that you need to understand about Fisher and Martin lure: what it is is it's a product that's designed to smell so powerful that it attracts other animals. It's used in trapping. It's used in hunting. So what people do is they'll spread a little Fisher and, and Martin lure around in a couple of places and animals from miles away will go, oh, hey, what's that? And they'll come to investigate and then the hunters and the trappers can do what hunters and trappers do. To give an idea of some of the common ingredients, uh, I didn't know that this was a thing until I, 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 I looked up the ingredients. Skunk essence. So it's literally the worst part of the skunk smell. That's one of the things that they're, that's that's often put in Fisher and Martin lure. Fish oil. I'm not making the next one up. Another common ingredient. There's uh, there's glands that beavers have in the in the in the in the hind area. Uh, what they, what they'll do is they'll grind up these these beaver butt glands, uh, and and they'll include this, and then they'll mix it with oil or Vaseline or something like that uh, to make sure that it's it's spreadable and it doesn't freeze too easily. And this is what was spread across the the theater. Now. What the statements from the RCMP and the theater are is that not only did this get into some of the fabric areas of the theater, but the building's over a century years, a century old. And a lot of it's made of hardwood. And so a lot of this oil apparently worked its way into the hardwood. And for that reason, the theater's been closed indefinitely because they got to figure out how they're going to get this Fisher and Martin Lure smell out of this historic building in the town of Fort McLeod. Now, initially there were a lot of reports going on about what was responsible, who did it. The, the, the releases from the RCMP are that it was a couple of youth. So we're talking about young offenders. So because of that, we're not, they're, they're not releasing any names, nor should they. Um, but this is where, you know, we have people and Fort McLeod gets relevant because there's a, there's a little bit of a take back Alberta presence down there with the, the town councilor there, the, the, the convoy guy, Mark Event, who we can boast. Um, we asked the question earlier when, when this story first broke, hey, could anybody point us to where in the curriculum uh, it says you should do hateful things and vandalize private property? Because one of the things that take back Alberta and a lot of these folks are repeatedly saying is, oh, it's the influence of these woke people on the on the on the kids. We got to protect the kids. Leave our kids alone. But you can't find it in the curriculum because it's not in the curriculum. This is why having 
a curriculum that's evidence-based and talks about social norms and values is so important. Because clearly, these kids didn't learn this from the curriculum. They learned it from somewhere else. And at a certain point, if we're going to adopt even part of the Take Back Alberta argument that parents are the be-all and end-all, well, parents are the be-all and end-all. And clearly there are some parents who didn't knock it out of the park when they were teaching their kids, maybe don't go throwing noxious substances into people's private property just because you don't think that they should have a drag show that you're not obligated to attend, by the way. There's clearly a failure in the upbringing of these kids. And if it was just this instance, it would be great to be able to move on, but it wasn't just this instance because there was another event that happened just a couple of hours later where the one of the flagpoles in the town was broken. The pride flag that had been flown up that flagpole was taken down and it was lit on fire. And when the RCMP arrived, they found, again, a bunch of youths allegedly standing around this burning pride flag. No concerns. Again, we're talking about vandalism. We're talking about destruction of private property. We're talking about a willful disregard for the decisions that the town made. We're talking about a violation of social contract. And these kids had to learn it from somewhere. This is why quality curriculum is so, so important. Because if you're going to say that it's the parents, they're the ultimate authority. It's very hard to make an argument that these kids weren't in some way failed because they didn't learn that you don't light private property on fire. They didn't learn that you don't vandalize private property. They didn't learn that you just go and hate on people because of how they're choosing to live their lives or how they're living their lives when it doesn't affect you. Now, in a surprising twist, the town of Fort McLeod did issue a statement strongly condemning what they described as. So let's be clear. When I'm calling it an act of hate, that's not me being hyperbolic. I'm using the language that the town of Fort McLeod chose to use when they were describing what happened in their town. Our community recently witnessed acts of hate that left us appalled and disheartened. In times of adversity, we must come together reaffirming our commitment to the values of inclusivity, tolerance, and respect that we strive for in our community. It then goes on to describe the events And it's signed by, well, there's two names that stick out. One of the names that sticks out is none other than Marco Van Hugenbos. And it's kind of surprising, given some of the rhetoric that we've heard from, uh, from Marco, even after this statement went up. Uh, but it's also surprising given his affiliation with Take Back Alberta, given his affiliation with David Parker, who's used some words. We're going to get into that in a minute. Don't worry. But this is where we get to the... I just can't even believe this. They're, they're, they've got a mayor, Fort McLeod does. Um, his, his name's Brent 
And uh, we took a look at Brent's social media last night um, just to see, hey, how's, how's what, what else is going on in Fort McLeod? And we found this little gem. What this is, is this is a retweet by Brent, the mayor of Fort McLeod, um, just a couple days ago. It was on the 24th of August where he retweeted this Stu Peters account. And this Stu Peters account was sharing a TikTok video. So already we're like five labors deep into the telephone game. And this TikTok video is, <laughs> I wish I was making this up. It's somebody using an aerial view of some of the areas affected by fires in Hawaii saying, oh, look at all these, these little pinpoints. Clearly the fact that there's these, these little areas that burned in here. I don't know, like they were trees or something. Um, that's that's indication that there has been a directed energy weapon. The exact quote, the directed energy weapons are leaving behind scorch spots showing where the lasers actually hit the ground. It's undeniable. Well, let me be, if it's undeniable, if nobody can deny it, let me be the first to say that's not true. <laughs> It's, it's it's simply not not true at all. The notion that somebody would spend uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to develop a directed energy weapon that they could put in orbit and then from orbit, it could fire these lasers down and, and light fires is wild. Now, this is not to say that directed energy weapons don't exist. They do. And there's a lot of different types of energy that we can talk about. Uh, there's the, the, the sound thingers that, that push out high volumes of sound. We've seen them at protests in the States. Those are a form of directed energy weapon. And the United States government, the United States Navy, does have directed energy weapons. You can look them up. There is a laser that is mounted on the, the deck of a ship. Cost so much money to develop. And it's mounted on the deck of a ship. And its range is released. It's a whopping mile. They, they, they built a laser that can shoot things from a mile away. And, and that's it. So the notion that somehow there's these laser satellites that are in orbit, higher than airplanes, that are being used to, to, to start fires in Hawaii so that people can build developments there is probably one of the, the dumbest things that you can possibly imagine hearing. And if you think that, you'd be wrong because the mayor of Fort McLeod retweets this whole dumpster fire that I've just listed off with the question, terrorist attack. <laughs> so not only do we have, hey, there's this ridiculous, laughable theory that is, in fact, very much deniable that there's somebody has spent millions, if not billions of dollars putting satellites into space undetected, by the way. And these satellites in space have the ability to shoot down lasers and start fires undetected, by the way, all because there's some people who want to do some development in that area of Hawaii. But wait, if if you believe that, maybe it was also terrorists. Like, what is going on in Fort McLeod? It's unbelievable that this is the mayor of Fort McLeod. 
And it really forces the question, if the mayor of Fort McLeod is, in, is running in such circles that terrorist space lasers is something that he's willing not only to just think to himself, because we all have those little thoughts that we think to ourselves, I wonder if, 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 you know, I wonder if I could jump from the roof of my house to the neighbor's roof. I wonder if I could do that. I, I wonder if I could, if I sped my car up a, a, enough, if I could, if I could make that jump Dukes of Hazards, uh, Dukes of Hazard style. I, I, I wonder, I, I wonder. But most of us have the wherewithal to recognize that those ideas aren't well enough accepted that it's worth throwing them out into the ether. But here we have the mayor of Fort McLeod saying terrorist space lasers. <laughs> uh, I just I just can't even. A um, couple other small little things to to clear up. Then we'll open it up to the floor for the rest of the, the evening. Uh, first one, we got a UCP AGM coming up. We're not attending. Uh, they they actually increased the price even more for like observer passes. And we had our observer pass revoked last time that we tried to go. But they're going to be doing a bunch of board elections. And this is a hot topic because Take Back Alberta did a very, very good job of effectively installing half of the board during the last UCP AGM. So they only need to get a couple more. And they pretty much own the party. It's been there's been very public spats between leader of Take Back Alberta, David Parker, and current and soon to be former president of the UCP, Cynthia Moore, Rishi Nagar, who is a, uh, a, a journalist with Red FM. He was the first one that we saw tweeted out. We're giving him full props here. Uh, Cynthia Moore not to run for the second term. It was never my intention to run for second term. And after much consideration, I have decided not to run for re-election as president of the United Conservative Party, which is a weird statement because I was never going to do the thing. And then I thought about it a lot and I decided I still wasn't going to do the thing. Um, that opens up quite a bit of, quite a bit of, of interesting stuff but the challenge has not gone unanswered because we saw the announcements also on the 23rd that rick orman is going to be uh running for president of the ucp the agm is the november 3rd and 4th 2023 he's going to take a leave from his uh uh, uh ceo of his, his energy company. And some people might be wondering, why is that name familiar? And there's actually a lot of really good reasons why the name Rick Orman is familiar. He was a PC MLA for almost a decade. Um, he was the Minister of Career Development and Employment, Minister of Labor, Minister of Energy, which is a big deal in the province of Alberta. Um, he left politics and he had a long career in the energy sector. One of the other reasons why you might remember his name more recently is because he was actually the returning officer for the UCP leadership vote. So not only does he have very long lineage in the conservative movement, conservative circles in the province of Alberta, but he's got some pretty serious cred to back it up. And he was recently very engaged with the UCP as he was the returning officer for the UCP leadership vote. But it wouldn't be a UCP leadership story if we didn't have a little fun thing. And, like, really, if y'all just need to get your comms together, please, for everybody who's in a political party, if y'all could just take a minute to do a little bit of proofreading before you release something, that would be, that would be just great. Because, again, Rick Orman announced his leadership run 
on uh or sorry his his run for the ucp president on august 23rd and he linked to in his release also please stop using external links on social media the algorithm just crushes you put up a picture it's not that hard um but he put up his his link and the link was to a letter to a statement saying hey uh, i'm gonna do this uh these are my qualifications it's gonna be great and what hurts us in the the same week that we saw the um, please remove the last sentence from the the, the one, people who are getting paid almost two million dollars to run Daniel Smith's social media, um, the Dateline Rick Orman to run for you president of UCP Calgary August TBD twenty twenty three. We we forgot to date our statement apparently that we're running for president of the UCP. Let's just let's pretend that didn't happen. Moving on from there, though, we got one other little little thing that we got to spend a little bit of time on because it actually uh, segues nicely into the episode that we're going to be presenting on Sunday. It'll be going up tomorrow for all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we are extreme. We had a spicy little conversation. We do. We sat down with the executive director for support our students, Medina Musa, and a big part of the conversation stemmed around the fact that. For the first time in a long time, school board trustees are going to be a really big deal. So we got to take a second to talk about this guy. I think you probably have to be at least 40 to get the joke that we just threw down, and it's visual. So if you're listening on the Twitter spaces, you really should go to about 58.44 on the, uh, the video at some point because we're really quite pleased with this joke. Um, and the reason why we're so happy with this joke is because we're going to talk about none other than the leader of Take Back Alberta, David Parker. And it just, it just, it was so perfect. We, we just saw it and we were like, oh, that's what it is. Um, David Parker had himself quite, uh, quite a little week. There's some people who are speculating maybe David Parker's just trolling the left, but it's important to realize as we talked about David Parker set his sights on Cynthia Moore, Cynthia Moore. Not running again. David Parker set his sights on the UCP board. Got half of it in the last AGM. All of the seats that were up for grabs, take back Alberta, got their hands on. UCP AGM's coming up again. David Parker takes credit for getting rid of Jason Kenney. David Parker takes credit for installing Danielle Smith. David Parker takes credit for a lot of things. David Parker had a bit of a week. David Parker took to Twitter to express some thoughts. And if it wasn't for the fact that he is so influential with Daniel Smith, she did attend his wedding not very long ago. If it wasn't for the fact that he does have these accomplishments, we really wouldn't be, be talking about him. Although the turtleneck jokes really just do write themselves. Um, he had some thoughts he wanted to share this week. Uh, the city of Toronto is a festering cancerous wound on the otherwise beautiful nation of Canada. We should just give it to America and be done with it, except they would never take it because it sucks. Another one, if you think the state has more of a right to educate children than their own parents, then you are the enemy. You are the they that we are all referring to. I would refer you back to our story on Fort McLeod, where the parents did such a good job of educating the children that they desecrated a historic building and lit a pride flag on fire. Alberta will not obey Ottawa's draconian climate virtue signaling. If they attempt to enforce it, we will separate. If you don't believe that's possible, just watch us. So lots of threats coming from David Parker. 
But this is where it gets pertinent. Radical progressives have been using school boards and municipalities as their training grounds for their activists for decades. People are waking up to the fact that their elected officials on the municipal level are ideologues because the left has been targeting schools for decades. They know that they cannot convince, and that's not me mispronouncing it, it really does say they know that they cannot convince common sense adults of their radical perspectives on gender and economics, so they decided to indoctrinate the children. This indoctrination must end. School is not a tool to be used by these ideologues to push their agendas. It is a place to educate children with the skills they will need to navigate adult life. Elementary age children do not need to be taught about sex by the state. That's the job of their parents. This is clearly an attempt to divide children from their parents for the purpose of destroying the family unit as a social institution. And let's all take a sec to remember that David Parker says that TBA is absolutely not in any way a religious organization. What's the next sentence? Oh, it is also a direct violation of the Fifth Commandment. We must stop this anti-family ideology from taking place or for sorry, from taking root in our society before it is too late. And then just for shits and giggles, he also tweeted out the, the Gadsden flag because of of course he did. Now, here's again, we talked about this last week, but here's the thing. This is why it gets to be so important. Because David Parker was recently on, and I realized that we've like referenced Mr. Jasperson uh, and his show twice now in this episode. But he he managed to get some good clips, and it would be a real shame to let them just fester. So here's the big clip from his conversation with David Parker. Slates for the next municipal election in the province? I don't know if we're going to be focused on municipal. Uh, we will definitely be focused on school boards. And it is our clear mission, and I say this in all of our meetings, to get as many people on school boards as possible in the next uh, municipal, which is elected at the same time as municipal. Now, it's tragically disappointing that he wasn't wearing a turtleneck in, in that particular clip. I just... I, I really wish he was because then this bit would be so much better. But uh, he makes no bones about it. David Parker, who took over the UCP board, who's poised to take over the rest of it, who managed to, uh, by some claims, force out the current UCP president, who managed by his own claim to get rid of the premier of the province, Jason Kenney, and replace him with Danielle Smith. He's now saying his biggest goal in municipal elections is to come for the school boards. And when you include his rhetoric, the things that he's said publicly about what he believes about school boards, what he believes about curriculum, what he believes about the education system. He's not just coming to get people more engaged. This is the thing that David Parker does, and he's very, very good at it. That's one of the things that makes him so dangerous. Is he's very, very good at saying, uh, you know what? No, it's uh, I just want people to be involved in democracy, man. Like, that's all I want. I just think that people need to be involved so that they can take pride in society. And the problem with society is too many people are too apathetic. Apathy is the worst. We got to get rid of the apathy. That's all I'm trying to do here. It's not like I'm trying to um, stop violations of the fifth commandment or anything. Make no mistake. David Parker has very, very strong views. It's also important to realize that school boards set the tone for the type of organization that happens. Now, David Parker seems to be pretty clear. He's got nothing but contempt 
for a lot of the teachers and a lot of the people who work in schools doing their best to make sure that kids get the best possible education. And there's no secret curriculum here. All of the curriculum that's currently being taught is publicly available. There's no woke agenda that's going on. It's just not his agenda. They're apparently not teaching the fifth commandment enough. And that should be something that scares everybody. Because one of the things that people rely on with their school boards is that their school boards will advocate for their, for the kids that are part of that education system. They will advocate to make sure that kids are getting the best possible evidence-based curriculum that they possibly can. Well, if David Parker has his way and all of those school board seats go towards Take Back Alberta folks, there's very little that's stopping the province with no resistance from saying, here's what our new curriculum is going to be. And as we talked about in a recent episode with Dr. Carla Peck, it's been pretty quiet on the social studies curriculum side. There's a lot of moving pieces here. And the one thing, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, Mr. Parker is absolutely right. We do have a problem with apathy. We do have a problem with people not being engaged in the political system. The biggest problem that we have, though, is that there are a bunch of folks who got really upset during the pandemic. They went down a lot of conspiracy theory rabbit holes because they were trying to make sense of a global event that even scientists whiffed the ball on more than a few occasions. You can't expect the average layperson to be able to wrap their heads around everything that's happening. But people were asked to behave in such a way that at that moment, with that information, was in the best interest of the common good. And there were some folks that just didn't want to do that. They wanted to go to Boston Pizza. They wanted to be able to do all of the things that they do in the normal times without any kind of consequence. Because they apparently never learned from their parents, I guess, that freedom is something that requires maintenance. It's something that requires work, and from time to time, freedom demands sacrifice. That's just the nature of it. That's one of the reasons why there have been so many people who have stepped up to fight in the global wars that we've seen. People who went to fight in World War I and World War II were doing so to protect freedom. They understood that there are times where extreme situations demand that in order to preserve the long timeline of freedom, we have to give up a little bit in the short term. Some of those people gave up their lives, but there were a lot of folks that decided that rather than not go to Boston Pizza and just do takeout, instead, they were going to get in their trucks, they were going to have a whole bunch of convoys, they were going to block borders, they were going to block streets, they were going to completely abandon any kind of social contract because they wanted what they wanted when they wanted. These are the people that, in the absence of a David Parker, would have just dissipated and gone back to their little internet chat rooms. But there is a David Parker. And that David Parker is a professional political organizer. If you listen to any of his speeches, he'll talk about the fact that he worked at the provincial and the federal level 
for the conservative parties at a very, very high level doing organization and campaigns. He loves to talk about how many campaigns he's worked on, how many campaigns he's won. The reality is he actually does know a little bit about what he's doing. And what he's seen in these people is a group of people that are highly motivated. They've got a boatload of energy and nowhere to put it. And he can use them to do what he wants. And the only way that that's going to be addressed, the only way that this vocal minority is going to be stopped from taking over our school boards. They've already got the premier's office. The only way that they're going to be stopped, the only way that we can make sure that these sort of archaic far-right fundamentalist Christian views are not influenced and not foisted on a public education system. And I'll be clear, if you want to give your kids a religious education, fill your boots. There's lots of private and charter schools and Catholic schools that you can do this with. But we're talking about the public education system, and there's not supposed to be any, you can't break the fifth commandment, going on inside of public schools. There's supposed to be schools that anybody can send their kids to. And know that those kids are going to get a good education. And if we want to protect that, that means that we got to start showing up as well. We talked about this last episode, and this is one of the reasons why we're presenting our conversation with the executive director of of Support Our Students. Because there's a lot of people who are wondering, what do we do? And that's a fair question, because if you've never been involved in politics before, knowing how to get involved is really, really difficult. But we talked about this as well with uh, Politico Sarah Biggs last week. Get in touch with your current school board trustee. Ask them questions. Find out whether or not there's someone who you can support. Find out whether or not there's someone who is going to protect the secular notion of public schools. If they are, ask them what they need. And if they aren't, find somebody who will do those things. Because whether or not you like someone is irrelevant. We're past that point. We're at the point now where people who are openly advocating for separatism, if they don't get everything that they want, where people who are saying we should just get rid of Toronto, where people who are saying that the the state is the enemy, because there's not enough talk about the fifth commandment. When that's what's going on, and it is, and that's what's influencing the premier's office, and it is, that's when we need to start to do the work ourselves. All of that being said, this is part of the show where we're going to open it up to the Twitter spaces. So if... uh, Anybody has any any thoughts that they want to share? Anybody has any, uh, maybe we said some things that you didn't like. Maybe we said some things you did like. I don't know. Uh, then you can hop in on the Twitter spaces. And if not, that's cool too. Uh, we had a we had a late start tonight. So I know that we're keeping our, our regulars a little bit later than normal. Um, but... Uh, that's that's where we are. So I'm gonna I'm gonna vamp for just a second. I'm gonna do the, the obligatory plug, uh, and I'm gonna plug the Patreon. 
um, while we see if anybody wants to raise their hand on the Twitter spaces. Nobody does. That's super cool. We'll be back next week. Uh, but one of the reasons why we're able to do the FOIPs that we do, one of the reasons why we're able to produce the content that we do is because of the support that we receive from our, our Patreon sponsors. Um, doesn't, doesn't take a whole lot. Five, six bucks a month gives you early access to all of our interview episodes and the warm, fuzzy feeling that you're supporting a, a program that on a regular basis annoys the hell out of some pretty, pretty serious people. Uh, so that's a nice feeling, too. That's a good thing. Um, but uh, you can help us continue to produce the kind of content that we do by signing up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash the breakdown AB. Um, if you're not able to, I know, and it's actually a point of pride for me that we've got a lot of folks who listen to the show, who engage with the show, who are on really tight incomes. The fact that, that somebody's dealing with all of the things that I know some of our audience is dealing with and they still find time to engage with the show just means so much to all of us here. Um, if you're not able to, to support us by a Patreon, that's cool. Um, like and share. Subscribe. Smash that subscribe button, as the kids say, uh, on the YouTubes and the Facebooks. And make sure that you share all of the, the YouTubes and the Facebook with your friends and family. Because some of them, they might just realize, hey, we got a problem in this problem. So we need to do something about it. And some of them, maybe you'll just get to annoy in a fun way. You never know. Um, but uh, that's the, the, the Patreon plug. I want to talk about some of the episodes that we have coming up. We are going to be, like I said, presenting our conversation on Sunday at 8 o'clock with uh, Medina Musa, who's the executive director of Support Our Students. And I got to tell you, I'm talking with some serious people. We had a conversation with Carla Peck about education. We had a conversation with Medina Musa that we're presenting on Sunday. There are some very serious people who have an insane amount of credentials and experience in the education system and in politics. And a lot of these folks, I saw that there's a Lisa Young, a political science professor from, uh, from Calgary was, did a whole little write up on like, Hey, this is all something we should really be paying attention to. When so many serious people are saying, Hey, we got a problem here. It's important to realize we very well may have a problem here. And as much as David Parker is very, very good at, putting on the charm at times and then putting on the bad shit crazy. Uh, the reality is the bad shit crazy is, is a part of his agenda and we all got to show up to, to do something about that. So look, look for that episode on Sunday. As always, it will be live streamed at eight o'clock. Um, if you missed that live stream, yeah, that's cool. Cause it'll be on our YouTube and our Facebook and on the podcast as well. It's there for you. That's about, I don't see anybody raising their hands on the Twitter spaces, so we might just have us a quick little show tonight. I want to thank everybody who is in the chat for engaging with the, the, the chat tonight. Um, if there, everybody who's been listening on the Twitter spaces, thank you so much for everybody who's been, been hanging out. I want to just say thank you for your patience as well with our technical difficulties at the start of the night. Sometimes life just throws you surprises, and it takes a little while to, to unsurprise yourself when all of the tech stuff stops working. But it's working now and working great, I'm told. So thank you, everybody, for your patience. Um, as always, big thank you to our Patreon sponsors. Big thank you to everybody who's listening to the show. If you're listening to the podcast version of the show, if you consider leaving a, a review, that'd be great. There's some folks who don't like us, and they leave some bad reviews. They're mostly ad hominem attacks, um, largely to be ignored. But the positive reviews do help get the podcast into more ears. So leave a review. I think I've vamped plenty for the evening. So I'm going to wrap it up. I want to say a big thank you to everybody, to all of our audience. Thank you for the support. I just want to say, you know, some of you folks stepped up with some kind words this week when some people were saying some pretty terrible things. We got pretty thick skin over here, but it was nice to see the, the, 
it was nice to see the positive support. That's a lot. Um, we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Maybe 8.05, 8.10, depending on how the tech works. But we'll be here. And uh, uh, in the meantime and in between time, take care of yourselves. Keep the conversation going. Thank mm-hmm. you.